to learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Well, take your copy of God's Word and turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 13, page 819 in your pew Bible. Those watching online, we're so grateful that you joined us this morning, and we're just so excited to be here. It is August. Can you believe that it's August? Where did July go? Uh, and how many of you guys are really excited about school starting back? How many of you parents are really excited about school starting back? Yes, praise the Lord and amen. Matthew 13. Let's stand and read God's word, Matthew 13. And we're going to begin in verse number 44. And here at Central Baptist Church, one out of every three people is good looking. And so you look to your left and look to your right. If it's not either one of them, it must be you. All right, let's read God's word. The Bible says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus says again, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. You may be seated. I asked a question this week uh, in a very scientific way. I asked people on Facebook to uh, kind of let me know uh, if, if your house was on fire, and God forbid that anyone's house would be on fire, but if your house was caught on fire and you had the opportunity outside of saving your family to save one thing in your house, what would you save? Now think about that for a moment. What would you save? If there's one thing in your life that you would save, what would it be? And I will tell you that whatever that thing is, is probably what you feel like is the most valuable thing. So we had people on Facebook that said that they would want to save their photos. And then somebody says, well, aren't your photos all in the cloud? And then they said, yes, they're in the cloud. So then they want to save their computer. But then they said, if it's in the cloud, you don't really need your computer. So we had a debate on what you would save, but people would save photos. And then animals. People would save their dogs, save their cats. And then people argued, well, aren't they a part of your family? And then there was like this disdain between one another. Well, aren't, you know, what do you care more about, your dog or your cat? Or what do you do? So anyway, we have a lot of debate about this. But whatever that one thing is, is the one thing that you find is most valuable. It's the one thing that you want to hold on to more than anything else. And, and over time, those things tend to change. When I was younger, there were things that I probably thought was the most valuable thing in my life. I mean, when I was a little kid, probably my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles... Little, they had this thing that was kind of like a, it was, it was a playhouse. I mean, it was a playhouse for, for boys. This little lair that had like a sewer system, and it was really cool. So that would have been at one time something very, uh, very important to me. Uh, some of you maybe, uh, some of you younger people, maybe it's your video games. The older you get, it seems to be the more sentimental or the more expensive. Like some, somebody told me this week that they're going to grab their TV because they're still making payments on it. <laughs> But whatever it tends to be, whatever this greatest treasure is, that's your greatest earthly treasure. Well, we're starting a new series this morning called All In. And I want to begin this series by just encouraging you to think through what is the thing that's the most important in your life. And my prayer is, is that as we look into these next few weeks, that we see that the greatest treasure in our life is Jesus Christ in furthering His kingdom. Matthew chapter 13 is a turning point in Jesus' ministry, Jesus has done a miracle ministry. He has preached sermons. But now he is doing something different. He's telling stories. He's using parables. And parables, when I was growing up in Sunday school, we were taught that parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. 
In other words, parables are, are stories, but they're comparisons. So Jesus is going to say that the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. And all throughout chapter 13, he gives various parables, various stories to explain what the kingdom of God is like. And many people that heard Jesus kind of understood the story. They, they, they understood the background of the story. That one thing that we don't get, that they got, is that we're in Western eyes and we're living 2,000 years later. And so they understand the context, the Eastern context, the ancient Israeli context, but they also uh, they also are 2,000 years uh, ahead of us in, uh, in their understanding of their culture then. So the people understood the parables of Jesus in the sense of the story, but they didn't understand the point. And so what Jesus would do is he'd have to explain to his disciples what the point was. Well, in these two parables that I just read, the parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value, Jesus has two stories that give the same point. And here's what that point is. The point is this, that the kingdom of God is so valuable that it is worth sacrificing anything we have to gain it. That the kingdom of God is worth being all in for. So let's look here in this text, and we will look at three things as we kind of think through being all in, all in for the kingdom, all in for the king. The first thing I want you to look at is the value of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom. Now, before we get probably too deep, some of you maybe need to think through what is the kingdom of God and why would we say that it's valuable? Well, the word kingdom is actually, when Jesus speaks about the kingdom or the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, it's synonymous. The reason why in some, trans, in some books of the Bible it says kingdom of heaven and some it says kingdom of God uh, is because Jewish people wouldn't use the name God. So when you have Matthew, who's writing to a particularly Jewish context, he's saying the kingdom of heaven rather than the kingdom of God because his audience wouldn't want... He, he was trying to not uh, make the audience feel like that he was misusing the name of God. But the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are synonymous. And, and, and if you think about the kingdom, the kingdom is reign, the reign of God, God's reign, his actions, his governance over all things. So that's what we think about a kingdom. But, but even further than that, as we think through it even more, the kingdom of heaven is how Jesus' death and resurrection changes everything, both in the present and in the future. It is essentially the gospel, what the gospel does. It's the new life in Christ that we were created for and that we're ultimately longing for. So it is what we have already. The kingdom of God is already here, but yet it's not fully here. Matt Chandler uh, talks about the kingdom of God in three Ds. And first, the first D is dwelling. That the whole story of the Bible is God being with us. If you think about in Eden, God was with Adam and Eve, and then sin came to the world. So then God uh, was uh, not present like he was in the Garden of Eden because of sin. But later on, he comes back and dwells among his people in the tabernacle. And then after the tabernacle, he dwells among his people in the temple. God was with his people in the temple. Then, as you get through the Old Testament, you get to the most important way in which God is with us. In the person Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, he came to be with us. Then after Jesus died and rose from the dead, the Holy Spirit came into all believers. That is God inside of you. And then we are looking for a day in heaven which we will be with God and God will be with us. We will be his people and he will be our God. So the kingdom of God is about dwelling. But not only is it about dwelling, but it's also about dominion. It's about ruling and reigning, that God is ruling and reigning over the earth, and we, as his image bearers, do that work of the kingdom. 
So even early on in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, expand, multiply, further the kingdom. Bring order to chaos, bring light to darkness. Now we are called as believers to expand his kingdom by making disciples of all people. The last D is destiny. That because we are heirs of the, of the kingdom, we are sons and daughters of the king, our hope and our future is secure in the finished works of Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of God is ultimately about our eternal joy forever with God. Now, you say, well, pastor, that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Here's what should make sense. We live in a very broken world. And there is a kingdom that is here, but a kingdom that is coming, that there is no brokenness. There is a king that does not get elected, does not do debates on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, cannot be overthrown, cannot be defeated, and will never be impeached. His name is King Jesus. And he is ruling and reigning now, but one day he is going to rule over all in fullness. So with that as a context, let's go into this story. And first we're going to talk about the, the story of the, the treasure that's hidden in a field. So Jesus says that there was a man who was either walking or working in another man's field. And as he's either walking or working, he randomly stumbles on a treasure that had been buried in the field. Now I don't know about you, but this is a dream come true. Who hasn't dreamed of finding a treasure? Like when I was growing up as a kid, me and my friends were obsessed with finding geodes. You know what a geode is? It's one of those rocks that has those crystals in them. And we thought if we could just find this, this great geode, we would be millionaires. And so we would went on search. And my dad says, hey, they're in the drainage ditch. Just go there in the drainage ditch. There's tons of geodes in there. And we would spend hours upon hours getting our hammers and cracking open rocks just to find more rocks. And my parents loved it because we stayed out of their way. But I was obsessed with finding treasures. Who hasn't in this room been obsessed as a kid finding some kind of treasure? Well, here this guy randomly stumbles over a treasure. Now, this made sense to Jesus' audience. Because in Jesus' day, people buried their money in the ground. You remember this parable of the talents? Where the guy who uh, was given that one talent, what did he do with that one talent? He buried it, literally buried it. And the reason why is because in this day there were no banks. There were no safes or safety deposit boxes. So the best place to hide your valuables was to bury them. Ancient towns in Jesus' day were often under the threats of, of raiders and people that would come in and pillage. And so what they would do is that they would put, a, put their treasure, their most expensive things, buried deep within somewhere where no one could find it. But the problem is, is this, is that people would come in and raid these villages and they would kill these people and no one would know where the buried treasure was. So all throughout Israel there was, this, there was these issues of buried treasure. Now even up until the days of Jesus... Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? Any of you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? They found them in Qumran. And in Qumran, as they were finding these Dead Sea Scrolls, they also found something called a copper scroll. And this copper scroll uh, was, was, had on it writings from the Essenes who lived there, and it marked 64 places all in that area where there were treasures of gold and silver that the people had buried there. Wouldn't that be kind of fun to find? I'm sure it's all gone by now. So this guy finds this treasure, but what does he do with it? He reburies it. Now, Jesus is not talking about the, the ethics of this. 
some of you maybe have some issues with this story, but I want you to understand about parables. The parables have a point. It's not necessarily that you analyze every part of the story. But what we do get out of this is that Jesus isn't, is telling us this story that this guy finds his treasure and he doesn't tell anybody about it. He reburies it and then what does he do is he goes home, has a liquidation sale, sells everything that he has and tries to buy the field with all that he had. In this guy's mind, there was more in the field than it, he would ever pay for the field. So you just imagine he goes to the landowner and he says, hey, I was just walking through here, and I just looked out here, and I said, man, I really think this would be a great place. How much for this land? And the owner says, why do you care about this land? What do you want about this? What are you going to do with this? And the guy says, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I'm thinking about putting maybe mini golf in here. Uh, I'll probably start off with some llamas to get some sort of tax exemption here, maybe some goats. I had a dream the other day that said, if you build it, they will come. I don't know, I just want to get this. Whatever it is, I want this. So they agree to a price, and the price had to be expensive because it required this man selling everything that he had to buy this piece of land to get the treasure. So there's the first story. You have this guy who sells everything that he has to buy this treasure that he finds in the field, and he buys the field itself. But then you get this second story, and here's a story of, of a guy who is a merchant. Now, it's a little bit different of, of a story. This guy was wealthy. And he wasn't just like this other guy who randomly stumbled on a treasure. This guy had been searching all of his life for a treasure. He had been searching for a treasure. And he finds this great treasure, this one pearl that he'd been searching for for all of his life. See, being a pearl merchant, he had seen a lot of pearls. And pearls in the ancient world were extremely valuable and extremely rare. Only the most wealthy people had pearls. It's been said that Cleopatra, you remember Cleopatra of Egypt, that the majority of her wealth was wrapped up in two pearls that would today equal $4 billion. So this man finds the pearl of a lifetime, and he sells everything that he has, all of his pearls. He liquidates all of his inventory. It doesn't matter to him because he knows that this pearl is way above and beyond anything better than he can imagine. So here you have these two stories, but I want you to note that they are two different men. One is a kind of a blue-collar guy, and the other one's a white-collar guy. One's poor, one's rich. One isn't looking for treasure. He stumbles upon the treasure. One is obsessed with finding treasure. Yet, they both see value that no one else sees. And they realize that there is no cheap or easy way to get what they want. It's either all or nothing. It's either risk it all or lose it all. And so these men are willing to risk and sell everything that they have to get it. So what Jesus is saying is this. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what my ruler and reign over the earth is like. This is what the, my dwelling with you for eternity is like. This is what your, our, my dominion over the earth is like. This is what your destiny is like. It is so valuable that everything else you own is worthless by comparison. That the kingdom of God is so valuable that it is worth giving everything you have for it. You catch that? That's the value of the kingdom. Now let's look at the second point. The second point is the joy of the kingdom. The Bible says... That this guy, in the, when he found this treasure, that he, in his joy, verse 44, in his joy, he sold everything that he had. He never second-guessed himself. 
There, there's nowhere in this text that says that he asked someone else for their opinion. Now, if you were to sell everything that you have and absolutely leave it all there, most of you would be devastated. You, you would think of all the things that you were attached to. You think of this couch that you, you've been sitting on for years that has your body impressed in it. You think about this, this, this picture frame, or, or maybe you think about some piece of jewelry that your grandmother gave you, and, and you would think that you would be devastated because of the sentimentality of these possessions, but yet this man sold everything that he had, he liquidated everything, and he was elated for joy. Why? Because the treasure that he was gaining was far more valuable than anything he'd be walking away from. Now, could you imagine this guy when he sells everything? He sells his house, puts it on the market. He sells his car. He sells his clothes. He sells his furniture. I'm sure his kids thought they were next. He goes completely Dave Ramsey on this whole thing. People come to him. They're at his yard sale. They're saying, hey, Bob, what are you doing? I'm selling everything. Everything? Yes, everything. You want this shirt? You can have it. They say, man, you're crazy. What are you selling everything for? He says, I'm going to go buy that field. You're going to buy what? That field is worthless. What are you doing? Why would you sell everything to buy that field? And he just looked at him and smiles and says, I've got a hunch. I've got a hunch. And he says, that he, know, he says that he's got a hunch, but on the inside, he knows what that land is worth because there was a better and greater joy in possessing the treasure than possessing what he had. Even though it cost him everything, it was worth way more than it cost. I want you to note something as you look in the text. I want you to note that both of these men do not sacrifice and then get joy. How does it go? They get joy, and then what do they do? They sacrificed. They sacrificed in joy, knowing what was on the way. They lost it all because they knew they were going to get it all. So Jesus here is saying, this is how the kingdom of God is. It's not a duty. It's a delight. It is an absolute joy to have. You know, I wonder about some people in their Christianity. A lot of people see Christianity as being a buzzkill. If when you become a Christian, now your life is going to be boring forever. Some people see Christianity as just a never-ending list of do's and don'ts. But what Jesus here is saying is that being a part of the kingdom is not a du duty, it is a delight, it is a joy. It brings true and lasting joy. To be a Christian doesn't mean you can't be happy anymore. You know, I've had people say, well, if I become a Christian, I can't do all the fun things I used to do. And I tell them, listen, when you become a Christian, you can do all the fun things you used to do as much as you want. What changes is you just don't want to do those things anymore. But I want you to think about it this way. I got married over 10 years ago, 11 years ago. I want you to imagine that on my wedding day, my wife looked at me as we, she was about to give her vows and say, listen, Alan, I just want you to know that I renounce all my desires for happiness, romance, and fun to be your wife. Up in front of everybody, she said, I renounce it all just to be your wife. And I would look at her and say, listen, honey, I don't want you to forsake those things for me. I want you to find those things 
in me. See, that's what God wants for us. He doesn't want you to forsake your joy to have Him. He doesn't want you to forsake your happiness to have Him. He doesn't want you to forsake your fun to have Him. He wants you to find your happiness, your joy, and your fun in Him. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 4, verse 7, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. That is, that there is more joy, a better joy that I get from you than what I get from food, what I get from friends, what I get from riches, what I get from vacations, what I get from sports championships, and what I get from pleasure. It is a joy that makes everything else we experience seem like nothing in comparison. It is joy unspeakable. It is joy that is full of glory. It's an eternal joy. So my friends, this morning, you have, if you are a believer, you've got something to be happy about this morning. You've got joy unspeakable. That God dwells in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. That you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, a son and daughter of, the, of God Almighty. And that your eternity is secure and destined. My friends, you shouldn't run around like you've been weaned on a dill pickle. You should be excited because of what God has done. See, this guy was willing to sell everything that he had here just to get the treasure. Now, I want you to imagine if a billionaire came to you tomorrow and said, listen, I will give you $1,000 a month for 10 years or... I will give you $100 million in 10 years. Which one do you want? You think about that. $1,000 a month for 10 years. And you guys can think about that. Take your shoes off and kind of calculate that. Or you can get $100 million in 10 years. Now, some of you say, well, what about compound interest and this, that, and the other? I'm not talking about that. But even if you do that, I think you're only around $1.2 million in 10 years. And then whatever the compound interest, it will probably never be $100 million. You would gladly wait 10 years for $100 million because you know what is coming later is far better than anything you can have on your own right now. And the reason I say that is because there are a lot of people that will trade short-term, small-thinking pleasures for long-term, big-time jackpot. That there are a lot of us in this world that we think, you know what, I need to be in this relationship, I need to be doing this, I need to be having fun because it's fun now. I want to live my best life now. When you have to realize... There's a greater life that is coming. It's joyful for joy. Let me give you the last thing. And the last thing is this, the cost of the kingdom. We've seen the value of the kingdom. It's, it's worth it all. We, we've seen the joy of the kingdom. It's, it's joy unspeakable. But I want you to see the cost of the kingdom. In one sense, the kingdom of God will cost you everything. Cost you everything. Both men literally left everything else that they had to possess the treasure. Why? Because that's what was required of them. The only way that this guy could have ever bought the field is he had to sell the farm. <laughs> the only way that this guy could have ever bought the pearls, he had to sell all of his other treasures. But here's what I want you to think about. They had to forsake what they used to think was valuable to hold on to what they knew was ultimately valuable. You know, many people, 
I'm sorry if this thing, this thing is making noises, and I apologize if it's driving you nuts, because it's driving me nuts, and that's not a far drive. Many people, especially in the United States, want to have the treasure of the kingdom of God, but they want to have it without letting anything go. And what people want, and I, I've met people like this. I met people, yes, a guy yesterday. This is where he was. He wants a little bit of Jesus, but he doesn't want to be all in. So rather than surrender, they just want Jesus to be an add-on to their lives. I never get going in India and going to one house in India and sharing with a Hindu man about Jesus. He said, oh, I want to believe in Jesus. And I was like, yeah, jackpot. But in his mind, Jesus was just an add-on to his other gods. He says, yes, I'm still going to believe in Vishnu. I'm still going to believe in Krishna. I'm still going to believe and worship my false god that I built an altar to that I made out of leftover wood that I had in my backyard that's sitting there for 10 years. I want him to be an add-on. And you say, well, that's funny. Why would, why would somebody that believes in all these false gods and then adds Jesus on them? Well, that person's crazy, but isn't it amazing how that in America we may not have wooden gods in our homes, but we have electronic ones. That we just have Jesus, you just be an add-on. I'm not going to surrender. I'm just going to have you as an add-on. And so what happens is, is if they see Jesus as someone that they come to when they're in trouble or someone that they think occasionally when good things happen in their lives. You know what I found? That some people want just enough of God in their lives so that they can feel good about the bad stuff that they want to continue to do. I call it country music Christianity. Isn't it amazing how many country singers sing about God? They sing a little bit about Jesus, they sing about amazing grace, and then they go home, get drunk, beat their dog, cheat on their wife, and hope to ride a long black train to heaven. But I want you to hear me this morning. That easy believism and namby-pamby Christianity is not taught anywhere in Scripture. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, hopefully this will be on the screen, if anyone would come after me, let him pray a prayer, eat Cheerios, and have a good day. No, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, preacher who went through, Nazi, through the Nazi revolution in Germany from Nuremberg, who died for his faith, said this, that when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Just a few weeks ago, I was in northern, uh, northern Iraq. I guess I just said it, so that's where I was. <laughs> Wasn't supposed to, but we'll delete that. And I was with a guy, and then we're going to give him the initial of S. And S was a man who grew up in uh, southern Iraq, and he was a devout Sunni Muslim. And his family was devout. And he left uh, the country uh, during the war uh, with America. He left the country to, to go to, to Europe to find work. And he found a job, and his hope was to bring his family from Iraq to, um, to this country in Europe. And while he was there, he ran into a guy that, that was an, an older guy, and he just began to witness to him, tell him about Jesus. And this guy, asked, he, he just didn't really want to have anything to do with this, and he was nice to him because, you know, he was a, a refugee. He was in another country, so he was at least cordial and listening to him. That's their culture. They want to be hospitable. And he said that he, he would listen to this guy every day at work. He would constantly tell him about Jesus, and he would constantly deny him until one time he got sick in the hospital. And while he was sick in the hospital, he prayed, and he asked, he asked Allah, he said, Allah, 
would you show me the truth? I just want to know the truth. So he went to sleep that night, and, he woke, and in his sleep he had a dream, but it was a dream of Jesus. And Jesus was with him in the mosque. And Esau said to S, he said, this is not the truth. And then he took him by the hand and led him to a church. And Esau, Jesus said, this is the truth. Follow them. He woke up from that, and, and where he was, he had knew just enough from his other guy that he came and he gave his life to Jesus Christ in a hospital bed. He then goes, and he's there for a couple years, and I don't want to go through all this story, but, but eventually he goes back to where he was, and he is now, uh, he goes back to northern Iraq. He cannot go to southern Iraq because if he goes south to his home, he will be murdered. And I asked S this one question three weeks ago. I looked at him and I said, is it worth it? You, you have, because there's a lot to this story that I can't tell you, but there's a lot to this story that is just completely sad, how he is forsaken from everybody. His family actually thinks he's in another country. If, they ever, if he ever comes around, they will kill him. He can never see his mother, never see his family, never see his friends. He is completely exiled. And I asked him, is it worth it? And he looked at me and he says, yes, he is worth it. Now I want you to understand, in our easy believism, air-conditioned Christianity, that may not make a lot of sense, but Jesus says it makes all the sense in the world. Paul wrote to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, and he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So this morning, how does that look for you? You say, well, what do I have to sacrifice? You know the thing about being in America is you don't have to sacrifice a lot to be a Christian. None of you came here under threat of fear of losing your life. How many of you did? Maybe you said, well, I drove on I-4 to get here. That might be the hardest thing. You had to wake up a few hours early. I mean, it boggles my mind. I mean, 9.30 for some people seems like to be really early. Don't you understand? I, you know, if you've got kids, your kids get up at 6. They're popping fresh and ready and to go. And you're like waiting for two or three hours, almost losing your religion, waiting for the religion to start. But what does it look like practically for you? And here's a question I want you to ask yourself this morning. Are, am I willing to go wherever he leads me? Cody and Becca, they are willing to go wherever he leads them. We have thousands of people scattered all around the world who have answered the call, who says, I am willing to go wherever he leads me. So maybe the question for you this morning, are you willing to go wherever he leads you? Are you willing to obey him regardless of whether it makes sense or regardless of the cost? Some of you this morning, you need to take your next step. Maybe your first step is you give your life to Jesus because he's worthy of your life. But maybe then after that you say, I've become a Christian, but you need to take that next step of baptism. You say, well, why do I need to be baptized? I don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. I'll tell you, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven, but if you are unwilling to be baptized, I doubt you are going to heaven. You say, well, well that sounds like work salvation. No, here's what I'm saying. If you're ashamed of him before others, he'll be ashamed of you before the angels and the Father in heaven. These young people that said, I am publicly unashamed to be a Christian, they said it, and, and listen, in other countries around the world, as soon as a person is baptized, there is a target on them for death. 
But here in America, when you get baptized, we, share, we cheer and we clap and applause. But maybe some of you, you need to be baptized. Maybe some of you, your next step is just being in a group and having community in your life. Or maybe some of you, it's to give generously. Not so that the church gets rich, so that the kingdom of God gets advanced. Maybe for some of you, it's surrendering your life to missions. And you say, well, I don't know if I could be a missionary out there. Well, let me tell you something. That's good because you need to be a missionary right here in Sanford. Whatever it looks like, I want you to understand the kingdom of God is so worth it. Whatever sacrifice it is, he's so worth it. And so it costs you everything you have, but I want you to understand that the kingdom of God not only costs you everything you have, but also the kingdom of God costs you nothing. Jesus is not teaching you that you earn heaven by giving everything away. You can't buy heaven. The amount of your commitment is not the determining factor. What Jesus is saying to us is that this is what we must do to receive the kingdom, not to earn the kingdom. To receive the kingdom, we receive it through surrender. We receive it through repentance. Salvation has been earned by Jesus, but it's received through surrender because Jesus has done absolutely everything necessary for us to be right with God. Jesus paid the cost so that we can have the treasure. He suffered. He bought the field. He was forsaken. He was crushed so that you and I can have ultimate joy. See, the only way that you and I can receive the treasure is we have to admit we don't deserve the treasure. We have to surrender. But it is a small price. You know, I found this in life that something is only expensive based on what it is. If something, let me ask you this question. If I came up to you and said, is something expensive if it's $500? Now, for some of you, you say, well, that's nothing. Some of you say, ah, that's a lot of money. But probably all of you would say, well, it depends on what it is. If I said to you, you know what, here's a stuffed animal for 500 bucks. You say, that's crazy. It's ridiculous. That's expensive. But if I then looked at you and said, well, here's a brand new Lamborghini for 500 bucks. You say, well, that's, that's, that's not expensive. And if I walked up to you and I said, here's a brand new Lamborghini. I have the title. This is not a trick. I will sell it to you for $500. What would you say? You would say, I don't have a dime on me, but give me a few minutes, and I'll be right back. Doesn't cost much, right? Now, for some things, $500 is expensive. For other things, it's absolutely nothing. That's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is not as bigger and more infinitely valuable than a Lamborghini. And so whatever we give, whatever it costs, is really nothing at all. But Jesus did pay it all. Like you think about this. You get eternity of joy with God. All you have to do is repent. Such a small price. So the question is this. Are you all in for Jesus? I'm sorry if this is driving you nuts. It's driving me nuts, which is a short drive. Are you all in for the kingdom of God? See, you will never be all in for the kingdom until you see the absolute beauty and value of Jesus. See, what's happened is, is that we've allowed the, the treasures of this world to blind us from the beauty of Jesus. 
We've allowed the things in this world to be so near, so dear to us, that we don't see the ultimate treasure in Christ. So what you have to do is you've got to get rid of all the junk to see the beauty of Jesus. I heard a story once of a, of a young girl who um, wanted a set of fake pearls. You know those little things you get at like the dollar store or something? You go to Claire's or something, they like... You know, and, and so she wanted it, and she, she didn't have money, so she went to her mom. She says, Mom, will you buy them? And they were like $2.50, so she, the mom bought them for her, and, and she got them. And she was just so grateful for that. And, and she worked around the house, and she earned the money back through working, and, you know, that's what you're supposed to do, I guess. And, and she, she got it, and she was so happy. These were her prized possession, these pearls. And her daddy also loved her. And every night he read to her, read the, read the Bible to her, read stories to her. And, and, and then he would come into, come into the room and just, just, just read these stories. And then he would look at her and he would say, honey, do you love me? And she'd say, yeah, daddy, I love you. I love you, daddy. He says, will you give me your pearls? And she says, no, daddy, I can't give you my pearls. Next night he comes in, he reads to her and tells her this story, or t tells her a Bible story, t reads her another story, and then he asks her, he says, honey, do you love me? She says, yes, daddy, I love you. He said, will you give me your pearls? She says, no, daddy, but you can have my doll. You can have this, but not my pearls. And every night this happened, and finally one night, her daddy got done with the story, and before he said a word, she said, here are my pearls. Here are my pearls. I love you, Daddy. And as she handed those pearls, he picked out in his pocket a velvet, blue velvet box that inside of it had real pearls. And he put them around her neck. And he says, Honey, I love you. And I've been waiting for you to give these old fake pearls so that you can get real pearls. And this morning... God is saying to you, let go of these fake things that you think are so valuable and hold on to me because you love me. That's what he's saying to you today. And the only way you'll ever be all in is when you see that he is worth being all in for.